G'day everybody and welcome back to the World Endurance Podcast. Well, the prologue is history and it's only a few days until the 1,812 kilometres of Qatar. And it is so good to see cars out on track. Um, I've been loving all the photos of the hypercars and LMGT3 cars coming through on social media and such. Well, I suppose let's get straight into it. Now, as for some of the numbers we're about to get into, obviously we all know that it's testing and they can't exactly be relied on. Um, And also the balance of performance has come in as well, uh, which I'll get onto a little bit later. But um, yeah, that's that's something else to be considered. Um, In terms of I suppose lap times um, from Motorsport Week, they kind of reported Cadillac had the fastest average lap time um, over the testing with yellow flags and such taken out. Um, And their kind of average lap time was 1 minute uh, 43.7 seconds. Uh, Followed by Jota, the Ferrari cars, uh, including the AF course as well. In terms of the fastest lap time, it was actually uh, Norman Nato uh, in the number 12 uh, Porsche Jota, um, and he did a lap time of 1 minute 43.822 seconds. So um, that was a good effort by the Jota there. Interestingly, the Toyotas were a little bit further back, and their average lap time was 1.3 seconds off the caddy, but I don't think these times should be taken too seriously. Um, there's a really good summary of the uh, the times and uh, laps and such uh, that's been put together by the... Oh, got a bit of thunder in there. Apologies if you can um, hear that one. Uh, yeah, so uh, Only Endurance put together some really good uh, summary information on the uh, the prologue, the prologue in numbers. So I'm just going to get a bit of, uh, bit of info off that. So something that I look at probably the most out of Uh, testing is laps completed by a car um, or team so in this instance it was the uh, number 51 Ferrari that completed the most laps uh, with 292 quickly followed by the uh, Toyotas completing 291 um, and 280 laps apiece so that's uh, their good efforts by them Um, And then not too far away is the AF Course Ferrari, number 83, and they completed 278 laps. And then the number 50 Ferrari completing the fifth most laps uh, with 272. So there's some good solid numbers there. Um, But kind of looking a bit further down, we've got um, the Cadillac, who was in 10th. They completed 249. So... Those the kind of the top ten have really completed a decent amount of, of laps. Um, interesting that so the BMWs were up there. Uh, the Peugeots didn't complete as many as probably they were hoping, uh, and there was a few other like the um, the Protons, uh, Alpines, and uh, Lamborghini were not as uh, Lamborghini Einlinks. Um, they weren't as high up the uh, up the order as they would like. Also the Penske Porsche cars they didn't complete as many laps but time will tell on that one in LMGT3 it was the Manthe cars uh, number 91 AME and 92 Pure RXing racing Um, they're the Porsche and they completed 258 and 256 laps apiece Uh, so that was a solid effort by them 
Team WRT were up there, um, and the AF Course and the Iron Lynx Iron Dames cars they were up there as well. I like to think of lap times as a little bit more representative of how the teams are going, because the the testing is really about how well the cars are standing up to uh, kind of excessive laps being put down because you know we are in endurance racing and there is going to be a lot of endurance to be had throughout the year so that's probably something that is worth looking at um i couldn't find many um mechanical issues or or anything like that there, there wasn't too much information on it and that's probably something that um the world endurance championship struggles with just because it's less uh, less reported on, less popular than some of the, the bigger categories. Something I should probably cover off now as well is the balance of performance, or BOP. Uh, and the long story short here, it's essentially allowing cars of different engineering designs, different parts, different engine sizes to compete in the same category. Because if we had V8s, V6s in different categories, you know, we would have many different categories all over the grid so it probably would make sense to even these cars up which in one sense allows more freedom for manufacturers to to bring different designs to to racing but it also kind of leaves them open to you know getting handicapped essentially so how it all kind of gets worked out is there's the regulations in place technical regulations uh, which regulate you know you can't just bring a car that outputs this much uh, power so there are re- certain regulations in place which I probably would like to get into in a kind of standalone episode for those who are interested and this is similar to some of the formulas that are going around you know formula one as a prime example you know they've got their regulations uh, but it's different to a racing category like IndyCar I suppose where they're more of a spec series so they don't really get the opportunity to work on a car themselves you know that the teams don't get opportunities to do that but instead they a car gets built and gets given to each team and it's their responsibility to to operate that team and there's benefits both ways and this is kind of doesn't really fit into a spec series uh, like IndyCar and isn't a very tightly regulated series like uh, Formula One for example so a committee will come together and that essentially chooses how much handicap how much weight is added to a car um and kind of my honest opinion i know i'm not a big opinions person because you know everyone's got their own and no one wants to listen to me waffle on but i don't find there would be as much incentive for manufacturers to be investing a lot of time into r&d a lot of money to create a car that you know could absolutely wipe the floor with everyone if they come up with something groundbreaking because that'll just get handicapped, you know. It feels, it's not manipulation, but it kind of feels that way that no matter how far ahead you get, it brings them back, which is one way of looking at it. But another way of looking at it is, well, we have closer racing. So I guess it's always a trade-off. If there was a perfect solution, I would probably say have tighter regulations on what can be brought in, what can't. That's purely my opinion. For example, limiting the amount of uh, engines that can be brought in or if they would like to keep options open. All the hypercars, for example, have um, hybrids this year. 
so that's one thing they all have in common for example uh, but let's just take the Toyotas who were um, very quick last year they now have the heaviest car on the grid so the total weight of the car is uh, here it is uh, 1089 kilos uh, and they've got the same power output as one of the Alpines for example um, so that's um, 500 Oh no, the dog's going off. Apologies for that. Um, the Alpine has 510 kilowatts um, of power, or 693 horsepower, um, with a max stint length, which is another interesting thing. The maximum energy per stint. Um, so for the um, the Toyota and Alpine, that's uh, 914 megajoules. They cover that off pretty well in the commentary, actually, where they have that that bar kind of graph. Well, not really graph, but it pops up next to each car and it'll have how much total energy they have left because obviously they've got batteries, it's a, a hybrid system. So that's interesting, but I guess that leaves it open to interpretation of if you had a better hybrid system or a better electronic system, better electronic system, <laughs> excuse me, um, then that essentially means you can get more total stint length and that would be confusing and would give teams an advantage which on one hand you go well that would be a better idea because it incentivizes people to be investing in in having more efficient cars having better batteries having etc um, but you know they they can't just let the better teams get better and the worst teams stay stationary so yeah it's definitely a trade-off i'd love to hear what everyone thinks at home and i might even put in a um little question at the end thank you to friend of the show Xander as well who actually sent in this question asking for my opinion on the balance of performance uh, so there you go Xander thanks for chiming in again uh, but I'd like to hear your and everyone else's opinions on this as well and I reckon we'll cover that off in a future episode seeing what everyone thinks about balance of performance so if you're on Spotify you can make sure to chuck that in um, the question box at the end of the episode I'd be really keen to hear that. But anyway, to summarise this, we kind of went through the prologue epilogue uh, and had a bit of a look at the uh, how how all the teams went. It's a shame it's not televised as well. Uh, I I probably would watch it. Obviously, there's live timings and and that kind of thing. But even just the summary from the World Endurance or on YouTube or anything like that, it wasn't quite as. Um, well covered as maybe some other categories so that would be good to see in the future but WEC is a ever-growing sport I suppose so we we'll, can look forward to that in the future anyway that'll do us uh, that'll do it for today uh, so next time we're going to be previewing the 1812 kilometers of Qatar I'll get it eventually um, at the LaSalle International Circuit which will be taking place this Saturday 11 o'clock uh, local time so I'll be putting out an episode just before that, uh, probably not long after this one goes out, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, but until then, take care. Mm-hmm.